Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. This is Jason Fitzgerald, and you can find me on X at Jason underscore OTC. Got to get used to saying that one. Uh, or you can email me, Jason, at overthecap.com. Uh, I'm just going to apologize in advance. I have no idea how the audio quality is going to work out on this. We ran into, uh, I don't know, a couple of technical problems here. I think my son broke uh, wires that I had here that I, I need to connect up the microphone so uh, I'm trying on this one, just something that I had floating around that I could use. I uh, didn't realize it until I got this plugged in since I didn't do a podcast last week. figured I would do it this week. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll notice there's no little video in the corner either. Uh, all just kind of the same reason. Um, I'm actually using that video microphone. I just didn't want to chance something really getting screwed up with that uh, since most people uh, listen on audio more than that. So... I'm just going to apologize in advance on that one. Uh, I am joined still by Nellie the Bunny. Nellie is eating on a treat and hanging out or whatever. Uh, no real beer of the night tonight. I'm just kind of going through the different pumpkins that I've had the last couple of podcasts that I still have floating around. So this is pretty random stuff. So I grabbed one of the Sam Adams Jackos that's floating around. There's probably some, uh, maybe some Southern Tier stuff upstairs. I don't know. There might be a dogfish head left. Uh... There's another one that I had, too, that I didn't really care for as much, either. That, that's up there, as well. So, I don't know. We'll get through most of those, I, I would imagine, tonight. Though, I, I don't think this will be a long podcast. Famous last words, right? The last podcast went almost three hours. Um, but I, I don't think there's really been that kind of, you know, stuff going on in the NFL um, right now, contract-wise. And, yeah, I'm not really looking forward that much at free agency yet. I think we've still got a couple of weeks, even though we have a couple teams that are obviously struggling a bit right now. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think we're really at that stage just yet. Uh, so, you know, I think for this week, uh, just a couple of things we'll go over and then I'll put up something actually again for questions because uh, I just threw something out there. I don't think I got too many replies to that. Yeah. So I'll put some more out there. I'll see if they get any more questions. Uh, if not, we'll wrap this one up hopefully somewhat early. Um and get this one over with, and hopefully we'll get back into a regular schedule. Uh, kids' football game was pretty good today. Uh, last week, that, that was also part of the reason there wasn't a podcast last week. Everything just got over pretty late, uh, out in the rain, just kind of soaked. By the time we got back, I ate some food. It was just like, I don't really feel like doing it. Um, so, you know, just uh, today was a much better game. Weather held up, and they were done at a little bit more of a reasonable time, I think. So we were able to... Uh, kind of get settled in and able to do some stuff now. So uh, thank you for listening. And sorry again about last week. Uh, And sorry again (laughs) about the audio quality we've got here. So um, let's see, where really to start? I mean, this week, I'm not going to harp on the Jets game from last week against Kansas City. That's over and done with. I'm still a little bit annoyed uh, about the way that went down at the end, but by the time anyone's really listening to this, I'd expect the Jets to have, um, you know, gotten a win against Denver, so I think by the time this comes through, hopefully it'll be better better thoughts about the uh, the way that a game plays out and that a game, way game ends, so won't get into that. Um, I think this was the week where we just kind of acknowledged a lot of the mistakes that we've made um you know, as front offices, right, as a general managers, as head coaches in, you know, selecting talent, identifying players that are fits for your team, and 
just trying to get whatever you can um, for those players. And, you know, really this started last week with uh, Chandler Jones. And I had a lot of questions on his contract. And I didn't get a chance to really answer all of them. Uh, I put one out there. That that was the other thing that drove me nuts this week. Luckily, it didn't happen Sunday. Our internet and cable, everything was out like the whole day Monday. So everything was just going through phone. I uh, didn't really watch a football game at all. Didn't sound like it was really much of a game, so I don't think I missed anything. But uh, yeah, we had uh, we were caught in some some outage that Optimum had. Uh, some wire got cut or something. But anyway, uh, this is the Chandler Jones deal. So you know the Raiders signed him to a contract that was was it twenty million a year, give or take a little bit. I'm sorry, no, seventeen. I'm thinking of Von Miller at that. Seventeen, thirty-two million, uh, fully guaranteed. Um, I got to add something in there. I mustn't have something missing from a column. He didn't earn just $16 million, uh, here and more than that. Um, so I just have to look to see why, why that's not showing up there, but I probably just forgot to enter a, a cash number or something on that. Um, you can see here his dead money. Uh, so he should count this year at 12.5 million. Uh, they paid him 15 to. And then next year, he's going to count at 12.3, um, give or take a little bit. Now, these numbers might change. Um, Jones very clearly had some type of issue with the team. Uh, you know, I, I was reposting uh, some of his tweets that he was putting out there. And, you know, they, they, they ranged from, you know, interesting, and then they would very quickly go to bizarre. And then you could understand where, I think, some of these issues came up where the, the Raiders um, on their side of this were saying that he needed, you know, some type of help, uh, you know, mentally or whatever. Um, you, you could see that there was just a lot of lot of chaos, it seemed like, going on with his, with his feet. It didn't really seem like a good situation. Um, you know, hopefully he's in that sense fine, uh, but... Obviously, there's a domestic dispute that went on. I guess he got arrested, and that's what led to the Raiders releasing him. Now, when you get arrested like that, it opens up a um, kind of an interesting situation, I think, for um, teams in the NFL. Uh, let, me, let me see if I can pull up his, um, his back end here on this. Let's see if I can find this here um let's see let me see if i can just pull up his thing so the way that most contracts work um you know you will have salary um that is guaranteed but the guarantees can void on the salary so what jones was paid in 2022 this four million dollar base salary you know that's his um, you can see my little notes here, not paid on NFI. So the, the Raiders originally put him on the non-football injury list. Uh, he was not being paid while he was on NFI, but his base salary was just $1.165 million because the, the Raiders had already converted um, $6.335 million of his salary into a, a bonus. Why? Well, they, they did that because they, uh, you know, they needed salary cap space. Their salary cap was kind of a mess. So they needed the cap room, um, so they went in there and restructured it. So, 
you know, this was guaranteed to him. It was also guaranteed through termination pay. Now, I don't know how that works if a player lands on NFI. I, I would imagine that the Raiders actually sent him a notification along with that that he's no longer eligible um, to claim termination pay. Because even if you void your guarantees out, your termination pay still stays. But that's not really the big money that we're looking at here. The money that's in question, if the Raiders could try to recover, is this bonus that was $12 million. So this is sunk. The $2.4 million from last year is sunk. That's not forfeitable anymore. But in every year of the contract, you have $2.4 million, right? Two four, two four, two four, two four. Um, all of those are subject to forfeiture, even though some of them are in void years, which is kind of an oddball thing to do. But you know the, that's that's the way that these things usually work. Um, the restructure bonus, you know, depending on the language in the contract, um, can also be subject to forfeiture. And typically, it would be because e even when you get the um, the beneficial language, which is that it's really not subject to forfeiture. What they mean by that is it's not subject to future forfeiture. Um, because it was originally paragraph five salary or base salary here, what happens is, is this restructuring bonus that's here of 6.335 million is subject to forfeiture if the forfeiture occurs in the year that that signing bonus, that restructure bonus is paid out. Um, the same typically holds true with this roster bonus. So he has a roster bonus in his contract of $8.5 million. Um, that $8.5 million was earned. It was paid out. But typically, roster bonuses are also subject to forfeiture when you have a, a breach of contract in the, in the year that the roster bonus is earned. So you have a situation here where... You know, the, the, the Raiders could possibly be looking to recover um, quite a decent amount of money. Uh, as some would say, good luck getting it. And, you know, that's a possibility too. But basically what would happen is where you see his dead money here, the, the 12.5 and the 12.268. These Well, this number of 12.548 million, that'll remain, right, for this year. That should stay the same unless there was something involved with this uh, $1.165 million base that I'm not aware of. Uh, but it's this $12.268 million next year that would be in question. And if they can find a way to recover all that money, or if they're eligible to, um, they could basically get that wiped out. Now, it might be wiped out as adjustments. It might be wiped out over time. Um, you know, And they might get a credit from this year. Uh, off the 12.54 if they were to recover this 3667 plus the 8.5 million dollar roster bonus would be prorated over five for the purposes of forfeiture um you know so you might get a you might get a credit towards that as well so it, it all depends on how that works out my guess is this is one of those situations where you get a grievance that's filed it might be a grievance that's by the team um you know you go back to the uh aaron hernandez new england patriots deal uh, it's, you know, somewhat similar in the sense that, you know, Aaron Hernandez, um, once he was arrested, obviously the, there was no way the Patriots could keep him on the team and let everything kind of play out. Um, the Players Association filed a grievance on Hernandez's behalf, and I believe, um, the, I, I'm almost positive the Patriots won the grievance, but the, the difference with the Patriots is the, the Patriots had money to withhold from him. 
So, in other words, they had a signing bonus payment that was still due to him. I think in Jones's case, I think all the money is already in his pocket. Uh, I don't think anything is delayed on the payment unless this restructure bonus was not. In which case, you know, if there are any remaining payments that they own, they're not going to pay it. That, that's very clear. And then you'll have Jones's side probably file a grievance to try to recover it. But I would think the, the precedent that was kind of set with the Aaron Hernandez thing, if that's the case, would probably work in the Raiders' favor. Um, you know, I, I think it would work out that way, at least. I, I think the, um, the Raiders would get the benefit in that sense because, you know, you, you had a um, crime of sorts that was committed here, right? It, it's a clear violation of the, you know, NFL policies, um, you know, he certainly was not going to be available to the team, even though he was on NFI, you know, he wasn't going to be available to the team, uh, if they needed him. So I, I would think that even though you don't let the whole situation play out, um, I, I would think that you're still eligible for recovery. Uh, that, that would be my opinion as to how that'll go. But this is one of those things that'll take some time. So for the time being, uh, I would just assume that he's going to count at 12.6 and 12.3. For the next few years and you, know, you look at this contract and you go wow you know this is one of the worst signings of 2022 and then it's like well maybe not you know what's the next one that you look at and that's jc jackson who gets traded back to new england just one year after signing a very very lucrative contract um you know it's 16.5 million a year with the chargers and you know i made a comment was it first? No, it might have just been two weeks ago. He was deactivated for a game. I think he was a healthy scratch. And, um, you know, I, th I think I put up the comment that, you know, he's their version of Kenny Galladay. Like, it, it doesn't get much attention, but he's their version. I, th I think that's the player that I wrote that about. And that's really what it turned into. It just ended up being a really bad fit. He didn't work out in their system whatsoever. Um, got hurt uh, last year. And clearly was struggling before he got hurt. So I know a lot of people were pointing at the injury. Um, I don't think that that was really the case because he was struggling prior to the injury. Uh, maybe that's one of the reasons why he was struggling as much as he was now. But, you know, he, he was just pretty terrible. And, you know, this will go down as a horrific free agent signing. Uh, I thought from a value perspective, unlike Chandler Jones, the, the Raiders contract with Chandler Jones is not good. It's like, why are you paying that much money to an older pass rusher? Um, you know, most of these old pass rushers make $10 million or less, $8 million. Let them sit for a while. It ends up being even less than that. You know, why, why are you going to 17 with multiple years guaranteed? This, I thought, was a good deal. Um, you know, I thought this was a player based on how many interceptions he got uh, out in New England that, you know, he, he would have wound up, you know, scoring a, a pretty big um, contract. And let me just blow this up here if I can. Um, you know, I thought that's what he would have done. And he didn't do it. It was, I'm sure this is one of those classic situations where he can't, he didn't overcome this when he came into free agency. Uh, and that's the, the fact that he was an undrafted free agent. Uh, being undrafted is very difficult sometimes to score those big contracts, especially when it's not an extension. So, that probably hurt him a little bit in free agency, and he drops down to the 16.5 a year, 
And, you know, he had $40 million fully guaranteed. This was a, um, if I remember correctly, this was a, um, this was a contract that had a lot of money that was paid up front. Um, oh yeah, maybe, maybe we're just not charging the money that was in this season because he, he doesn't have the right amount earned in there either. Um, you know, on, on the website here, earnings by team. So he ends up earning 38.44 million, um, for the two years with the chargers. So, I mean, that, that is, that's a, that's a brutal number, just a, a horrific number. Um, that's worse than the Jones deal, right? So Chandler Jones here, he earned uh, 32 million. Um, this Jackson contract, if we go back to the chargers version, I'm going to pull that one up here. If you're following along, you'll see it. Um, you know, the, the Chargers deal on this was, while the APY was probably nowhere near what he expected, it was all giant money up front. It was one of those, we believe really strongly in this player, we have to get four years out of it for this contract to make sense. They paid him $28 million in the first year, $12 million guaranteed in the second year. So you, you were looking at uh, $20 million a year over the first two years, and obviously it ends up a disaster. So he gets $28 million for the first year. Uh, from the Chargers, he gets $10.44 million in the second year. And, you know, you, you've got all this dead money, um, you know, that, that's in this contract here. It, it's just a, um, you know, it's just a horrible, horrible, horrible contract um, that you come up with there. Sorry about that if you're watching along. That's a little technical difficulties with the website. I got stuff popping up on me here. Um you know, and so this one goes down. This is a worse deal than the Chandler Jones deal. So even though the contract on its face is not as big as the Chandler Jones one, and you look at the ages of the players and you go, okay, well, it's signing J.C. Jackson makes much more sense than signing Chandler Jones, you know, to the similar money. That all makes sense. But the the thing is when you, you get into the kind of the breakdowns of it and you see how bullish you are up front, on the player, the player has to work out when you're that bullish on him, uh, because it means that you've you've got this feeling that okay, we're willing to pay him this twenty million a year up front because we're confident we're getting three four years out of the player, and that's going to bring that APY down to that seventeen or sixteen million dollar a year level to get a handful of games out of the player, I mean, it's a, it's an absolute epic failure. Um, just catastrophic failure uh, by the Chargers front office. Um, they trade him to New England. Uh, New England, as you can see on his contract page here, they only have to pay $1.55 million. So um, that money is actually guaranteed. I just got to add it in there. Um you know, but that, that money is guaranteed for this year. After this, I'll have cap charges of 14-4, 14-4, 14-1. .4, he can be cut, though, with nothing on the cap. So odds are, you know, they'll, they'll cut him next year. Um, but, you know, given that this is a New England thing, I'm sure he's going to go in there and he's going to go back to playing like he did in New England and, you know, basically wind up with, like, five or six interceptions. Um, you, know, you can see it here at five, nine, eight. And last year he's got nothing, um, you know, in the games that he played, and then he's got one um, this year. So I'm sure this has the possibility of being one of those classic, um, 
New England Patriot rehabs of a former player, and then maybe somebody else gets suckered into signing him again in free agency. Uh, but, you know, this was the Chargers just trying to get a little bit of relief um, and getting a problem off their hands for just a, a terrible deal. And, you know, this one is going to go down as just a awful, awful, awful contract. Uh, next one would you have in the, you know, can you top me category is Randy Gregory. Um, now, part of this falls victim to uh, the, the change in Denver, right? This was, this was all signed the prior year. Um, again, you're looking at a, a pass rusher. I don't think people realize that, that he was already going to be, you know, 30, um, you know, coming out of Dallas. And this was one of those deals where Dallas was going to sign him and they had a hang up over, was it void language guarantee that there, there was something they had an issue with and whatever their issue was, it, it broke down the discussions with Dallas and Denver basically swooped in at the last second, paid him uh, $14 million a year, $13.9 million a year on a contract, $28 million fully guaranteed, um, you know, to bring him in. And as you can see, he was hurt a lot last year, only played six games, hardly any snaps, um, two sacks. This year he had a sack, uh, was playing about 55% of the time. Um, you, know, you look at his contract history here with the Broncos, you know, it it's not looking good. Um, you know, he, he ends up carrying 7.7 .7 million dead this year, 13.8 million dead next year. Uh, they paid him 13.16 million this year to go away. Uh, the 49ers, you know, are only responsible for $840,000 on the contract. Um, they traded a six for him. You know, they, they basically it was nothing, and they might get a conditional seventh back. I, I don't know what the condition is on it. Uh, I didn't really pay that that kind of attention to the trade, but you know, the, this was a pretty epic misfire by the Broncos as well. And again, it was just real interesting to me to see all these bad, bad, bad contracts all just a couple seasons, a couple games into season number two. And the teams are cutting bait, um, you know, and then you had the final one. And this one, I mean, th this is another one of these epic failures by the Bears. Um, you know, th this is just a, a absolute disaster by them. Clearly didn't fit in. Um, I think this is one of those situations where, and, you know, this number's wrong. I didn't update it. <laughs> I have something wrong on that. Um, this is one of those situations where I think you have a player who probably thinks he's better than he is. Maybe he doesn't feel like he has to work as hard. Um, you know, he, he was real good early in his career. Um, you know, you always have to be worried when the Steelers give up on a receiver. Always have to be worried about that. You know, he was pretty good early in his career, and, you know, stuff just started to to kind of go south for him. And Chicago made this wild trade last year that really was a head-scratcher. And I know people tried to come out after the fact and kind of defend it and say, well, you know, this team was offering this, this team was offering that. It was the Ravens, the Packers maybe involved. 
that doesn't mean you have to jump. You you have to sometimes, um, and maybe this is something you have a very young general manager there. You know, sometimes if you put a price on something, right, in your mind that you're saying, you know, he's he's worth even even if you just want to say a late second round pick, right? If you want to say that, and the team that you're dealing with comes back to you and says, or maybe the deal was they were going to use the Ravens pick. That that's actually probably what it was. Um, not so not the not that the Ravens were involved. I don't think at least. But anyway, um, you know sometimes you just have to walk away, and that it's one of the difficult things in free agency, and I'm sure it's it's difficult with trades as well. You know you, you get your your heart set on a player, and you get a number in your mind and you're like okay that's our number like th- this is this is as high as we'll go the, the the most that we'll do is giving up what we think is going to be a late second round pick or the most that we're going to give this player is 10 million dollars a year and sometimes you you just get into it that you lose focus you know that this is one of the things that um and and I know the the patriots have struggled in the the post tom brady era but this is one of those things that Belichick was great at. There was zero emotion from Bill Belichick um, in any decision that was made, whether the decisions were good or the decisions have been bad, and he's had both. There has never been any point in time where you look at something coming down for New England. With Actually, I shouldn't say never. There, there was one time. Uh, that was the Mohamed Sanu trade. Um, but other than that, there was never really a time where you ever looked at the Patriots and said, "Okay, you know, they're they're just getting they're getting walked into something that they don't want to do." Like they have their heart set on a player and they can't say no. You will never see that with them. Ever. Now, even the Sanu thing, maybe they really thought he was worth a second round pick. I don't know. Um, but it happens all the time to these teams. You know, my, my, in free agency, um, you know, I always defer back to that, uh, Vernon deal that he did with the giants that ended up being a terrible contract for them. Not a good one. You know, it's not like he was a bad player, uh, but just way overvalued, but it was a three team situation where you had three teams that wanted him. Um, the Jets had a number in mind, and they they were like, "Whoa, the numbers you're talking are crazy." And then you had the Giants and the Jaguars, and it became one of those questions where, you know, and we do this in our lives too, right? It's like, well, you know, I'm going to spend ten dollars on something. Well, you know, it's only two dollars more. So imagine that that's in the millions, right? I'm willing to spend ten. Well, what's twelve? Or, you know, we're out at fifteen. Well, if you come back in at 17, you got him. All right, you know what? We'll do that. And I think that's probably what happened with Chicago here. Uh, Chicago ends up giving up you know, what amounts to uh, a late first-round pick for like a, a six, whatever they got back for him, um, you know, and a little bit of salary cap relief. So it's not like they did that. I don't believe they picked up any money on his deal. So, that you know, they, they just owed him those uh, those couple of years on the contract. Um let me just send out a thing for podcast questions. And I think Nick I think Nick ran the numbers that we had in the trade chart. Um for myself and Brad here. Let me look it up. 
profile. There we go. Let's see what Nick had. All right. So it was 1244.6 seventh round swap would be 190 points. Could be as low as getting 10 to 20 points depending on comp picks. So, you know, it's a it's a terrible, terrible, terrible deal. Um, you know, uh, that, that works out for Chicago, you know, and they, uh, you know, they flubbed it. Um, there's just no other way to put it. And this was, this was a trade when it was made, it was a little bit of a head scratcher. Like, why are they doing that? Um, you know, and you, you, you get into these, these weird situations now where, um, you know, you, you have this and it looks bad for you. If you're a general manager, if you're a head coach and they had a struggle with explaining, you know, why they're getting rid of him, um, you know, why he wasn't around practice, you know, all these different things, but it, it does, it just kind of becomes a distraction for you, um, as an organization. And, you know, the, the bears are trying to work through some stuff because, Prior to Thursday, I mean, they've been awful. I mean, they, they, it was an epic collapse against Denver, um, you know, that they, they lost that game. And, and I'll go on a little Bears rant here for a minute. You know, this is one of those things where you've probably set yourself up for failure as an organization um, in some ways. And it, it's not so much your fault. You know, they, they've this was a bad trade. All right. But the way that they've managed their salary cap, the way they've managed a couple of contracts that they've done, um, the way that they've tried, they they handled their, their trade last year, uh, or this year, I'm sorry, in the draft. I mean, that's fine. But one of the problems is that you, you kind of have this team last year with this, you know, exciting play at quarterback, um, limited play at quarterback, but exciting. And you, you kind of set these expectation levels up. You know, it's what's going on with the Giants this year, too. And when it doesn't work out the next year, it looks really bad for you. And you've already got talk of the head coach being fired. Um, you know, polls should be fine. Uh, I think because of all the, um, the stuff with the draft, I think he's fine. But... The, the coach, you know, you, you've got these players. You had Justin Fields a couple of weeks ago, com, not really complaining, but, you know, putting some blame on the coaching staff. Claypool clearly was coming out and um, talking about the, the coaches being at fault here. So, you know, that there's a, there's a point where, as a coach, you just need that off the team, too. Um you know, but Chicago's in one of those positions where you've kind of set yourself up for expectations, and that's not really a good thing because you, you really weren't there. And I, I don't know, you know, may, maybe they'll get something out of it. Fields played pretty good against Washington. Um, maybe there's something there that they can find. It seemed like um, for the – I didn't watch a lot of the Washington game. I think I watched about a half of it. Um, it seemed like Fields had more freedom to do more with running and obviously he and more and more more just had a tremendous game um you know they, they just had a connection going in that game that kind of stuff usually isn't very consistent so I, I don't know if that'll really pop up again um for chicago but you know i i think that's um you know they're they're, they're kind of in a weird spot and 
if things don't end well for them and they do actually end up with a, a draft where you go one, two, that's an interesting discussion. You know, again, as someone who doesn't follow uh, college football too much, um, I have no idea. You know, I obviously, you know, the quarterback that's going to go number one. I don't know if there's another prospect that's up there. But man, you should be taking two quarterbacks. Really, you, you've got to be thinking of that stuff. And everybody hates when you suggest those things. Um, it's just too important of a position. You know, it's like, why why would you, why would you not do it? Um, you know, I think they've already lost value on Justin Fields. You know, I think if they had done this last year, now there's no guarantee they would have taken Stroud, who's the, the quarterback right now that looks really good. Um, but... You know, if if Fields doesn't work out and whomever they draft next year doesn't work out, it's going to be looked at as pretty bad that they opted to try one more year with Fields without taking a quarterback. Um, and I would just think next year, you know, you may as well take two. I'm not really worried. I, I don't really feel the need to do rookie quarterback, rookie wide receiver one, two. You know, I, I think I, I would probably rather, you know, just take my chances and see if I can have two quarterbacks and develop, you know, one of them. Uh, obviously, you're going to have to pay the, the player's signing bonus, which is going to be pretty high, but I can guarantee you, you will recover your first round pick on whichever player doesn't make it. Because even if you're, even if you've decided, you know, I'll use this year as an example. So it was, uh, your, your top two in the draft was what, Young and Stroud? Um, so let's say Stroud wins the job. He's going to look great on the field. So the other kid who, yeah, he lost the job in the preseason or whatever. He's still the number one or number two pick in the draft. It's not like he went on the field and looked horrific like a Josh Rosen, a Zach Wilson, um, you know, a Trey Lance, where, you know, you just are like, this guy is a lost cause. No, you just keep singing the praises. Oh, he's been wonderful backing up. Um, you know, they're learning together. You know, he knows his time might come. He's got to be ready at a moment's notice. Uh, you know, this is a wide open competition this year, next year. Um, you know, all those things. That player doesn't have any stink on him for losing a preseason competition. Um, there's none of that. And the teams will go crazy for taking a quarterback. And you'll certainly get a number one back. Um, you know, and if you really push the issue in the fact that we've prepaid his entire contract, probably should get two ones for the player. Because basically all you've done is you've taken one year of system development away, meaning that they, they don't actually get to be in, in that, you know, in the organization, uh, for their rookie year, but you've paid them $25 million. You probably paid them 75% of the contract. So you should get all that, but yeah, that that's a discussion for uh, much much later. Um, you know, as things break down and you you kind of get into that stuff. Um, but yeah, th this was just a, it was a real interesting week um, for trying your best to fix mistakes, and there were a lot of mistakes that were made in 2022. And now you got to wonder, 
is this next one going to be the big mistake that was made in 2023? Um, grab another drink here and we'll get back to it. So uh, it's probably going to cut out for a second. Um, but I'll be back in just one minute. All right, I'm back here. I brought two of them down this time. I got a couple, well, one extra one on ice here. So hopefully I don't have to run back up again. Um, so anyway, I said, uh, hey, talk about what's probably going to be a mistake um, for this up, this coming season, you know, next year that we're going to look at. And to me, that's Jonathan Taylor. So he signs a contract with Indianapolis today. Pull him up here. Uh, I don't even care what the numbers are. Uh, $42 million over three years, I think is what it is. And usually I always say, well, the devil's in the details. Wait, let, let's wait until we get a contract and take a look at it. No, this time we don't need to do it. This is just stupidity by Indianapolis. Like, I don't understand what in the world the Colts are looking at here as they make this decision to do this. How do you go as a team that basically has a general manager come out and say, we're not interested in extending him this year? Basically saying, let's see how this season goes um, before... You know, we, we, we really go into this and say, okay, we want to commit long-term on the running back. Um, you know, let, let's just wait to see how things go. How do you go from that? Player saying he's unhappy. He's got a problem with this, problem with that. Team says, you know, we're going to put you on the pup list when he says he's healthy. So he hasn't even played a snap this year. And then you activate him off pub. And now you decide, okay, we're going to give him the extension now? Like, do, do you realize, if you're Indianapolis, just how dumb this is? You know, if the number was like $7 million or $5 million, all right, whatever. This is just such a stupid decision. Like, it, it's mind-boggling. Like, I, I don't even know how you look at this from any any perspective and say, yeah, this is a good idea. You know, th there's a reason why if you look at the, the Giants, you know, they, they did the tag on Barkley, which they probably regret, but there's nothing coming out from him, you know, this year. Jacobs and the Raiders, I mean, where are the Raiders going? Nowhere. So, you know, you, you look at Indianapolis and you look at them last year, I mean, let, let's just look at this from a record perspective. What what benefit did Taylor give you last year? A tie, a loss, a win, a loss. Two wins in a row. Loss, 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 win. Loss, 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 loss. You didn't win another game this season. What purpose is there to having him? You know, what, what difference did he make for your team, your organization, last year? Good player? Sure. What difference did he make for your team? You know, you're trying to develop a young quarterback. I get that. Um, I'll pull up his game logs from last year. You can see a lot of L's on that. So it's not like, you know... They were winning the, these games because he was there. They won two of the games when he's inactive. Two of their wins were games he didn't play in. 
all right? So you're talking about a bad football team that's rebuilding, that needs weapons in their passing game, needs to rebuild an entire offense. And so you might say, well, you know, the, the Indianapolis Colts have a lot of cap room because they don't spend money typically. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, they, they next year we project them to have, you know, 86, $73 million in cap room once they get up to 51. Now, that doesn't include the Taylor contract. But, you know, it, it, that $14 million, that $10 million, whatever it might be, that's money that you can go and spend on someone that might be more beneficial towards helping your quarterback. You know, and if you look at the Colts this year, let's just take a look here. Let me pull up their 2023 season. They're 2-2. Two and two, All right? So the record's not awful. Um, you know, the quarterback has looked okay. Um, you look at their, their running game here, who's Moss is their main guy, 66, yeah, 66 attempts. Yeah, it's respectable. 4.2 yards per attempt, 93 yards per game, not doing much as a receiver, but I don't know if anyone's really doing much as a receiver in Indy right now. Um, you know, so if anything, you should be looking at this and going, oh, you know, we're, we're getting adequate play here. You know, it's just a plug-and-play kind of player. Um, you know, doesn't, you know, Moss doesn't cost much, right? What was he? Minimum salary, maybe? Uh, let me see there. Colts. Yeah, 1.13. Um, you know, so I, I just don't understand what what the point of this is. Um, you know, and, and you look at this, even if you're looking at Taylor, okay, so we've obviously got two great years at the front end, and this is very typical for running back. Uh, 1,169 yards, 15 games, 11 touchdowns, um, 69 first downs, 300 receiving yards, one receiving touchdown, um, 78 yards per game as a rookie. Second year. 1,811 yards, 18 touchdowns, 107 first downs, 360 receiving yards, two receiving touchdowns. Monster season. Absolute monster season for him. You know, last year he's down to playing in 11 games, 861 yards. Yards per attempt drops from uh, 5 and 5.5 in his first two years to 4.5. Um 78 yards per game. Uh, receiving yards is down to 143. So you're seeing declining production. You're seeing injuries. Player missed the first four games of the year. You didn't miss a beat in your running game. And you turn around and you do this contract? Now, I, I, I normally I'd say the GM deserves to be fired for this whole thing. But I'm sure this isn't him. I'm sure this was the owner. I'm sure the, the owner probably had a good night last night and decided, yeah, let's get this done. Um, it's just it's just stupid. It's just, it, as far as deals go, I mean, this is about as dumb a deal as I think you could possibly do. Um, 
You know, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, it really doesn't. Um, you, know, you, you just look at all these players. First of all, look at the numbers. You look at everything declining. And, you know, you, you just look at what's been going on. You know, is Henry a game changer for the Titans anymore? No. I don't know if he ever was. He's certainly not now. Chubb is hurt. Uh, Jacobs, you know, the Raiders are going nowhere. Packers not really going anywhere. Giants are a disaster. Um, you know, Pollard's okay with Dallas. He's been actually he's been more than okay with Dallas, but they don't have a long term deal because they screwed up with Ezekiel Elliott, and you know, Pollard is probably being punished somewhat with that. Cardinals have gone nowhere with James Conner. Dalvin Cook on the Jets is laughable. Um, Miles Sanders, you know, you're getting down on these prices. Why do you need to have the second or third highest paid player at the position? It just it just doesn't make any sense. It's just not the way to build a team. It's not the way to build a winning organization. It's just not the way to do anything. And you know, it just it just doesn't make it, there's nothing that makes sense. Do you realize what a bad message this contract this this gives to everybody on the team? If you want a new deal, just say I'm unhappy with the fact you didn't give me an extension. I'm not going to play. Oh, you, you're you're going to put me on an NFI list? You're going to you're going to threaten me with that? You're going to put me on the pup list? Fine, put me on pup. Who cares? You'll come around eventually. Like this just sets such a bad precedent for anything that you're doing with any agent in the league knowing now knowing that you know they they can just look at you and you know they they can twist you based on your needs you know based on what whatever pressure that you're feeling um media wise or fan wise or whatever it is they've got you you know that that's not a good place to be you know, I'm just I'm pulling up the cap page now. I'm just looking. There's not a lot of organizations that, you know, you feel that way with. You know, where, where the, the leverage, there there's times every now and then where obviously it happens. Um, but just overall, I mean, I, I can't see any other teams right now where I would look at the team and I would say to myself, okay, you know, the Broncos should be lower in cap room here. I'm missing something on them. I got something wrong on Denver. I am switching topics here to look up Denver, who's been a little bit of a nightmare. Oh, no, it's because they deferred money on Gregory. That's why. Okay. Anyway, um, you know, you're looking at teams and you're saying, well, what are the teams that are, you know, kind of getting pulled? Um the Saints, not really. You know, they, they get pulled in the sense that they can't cut players because of the cap. But I don't think they get pulled. The Giants are a team that probably is in a, uh, you know, they're, they're in they're in a bad spot. You know, they're they're a team. You know, when you talk about the when I mentioned that Vernon deal, history repeated itself when you got to Galladay, and that was bidding really against nobody. Um, you know, and then you had Daniel Jones and Barkley, in a sense, being pitted against one another, and somehow the Giants ending up the big losers in that whole thing. 
So the Giants would be a team right now that I think their front office decisions that they've made in the past have probably cost them. Um, you know, that, that would be the case. Uh, I don't think the Rams, the Eagles, I have to put the Colts in that category right now. Um, you know, the Jets have done a couple specific deals where they fall into that trap, but not, not to that extent. Um, it's really not many. I mean, it, it's just, this was as bad of a job as I can imagine. Uh, the Cardinals probably fell into the trap with Kyler Murray and maybe a couple other players, um, that they got pressured into doing deals they didn't want to do. Uh, that, that would probably be another team, but they've turned over, um, I think enough of that to where it's probably not hanging over them still. Um, you know, so it, it's just, I just didn't get it. You know, um, I think Ballard's a decent general manager. I think he's very handicapped by being in Indianapolis, but I, I mean, if, if this was him, this is fireable. I don't think this is him, but I, I, I don't know how somebody can look at this and just be like, yeah, you know, this this is a great move for Indianapolis. Like this, yeah, this really just made sense. Like this, this to me, we talk about Cardinals. I mean, this, this is David Johnson to me written all over it. Um, you're looking at a player, you know, peak early, early career success, injuries start creeping up. You get forced into a contract that's a stupid contract and the player is never good again. And I'm not saying that, uh, I don't know if Taylor won't be good, but this is a contract based on 1,800 yards in 2021. Um, certainly not getting there this year. Probably would never get there again. And to do it on a team that has a guy averaging, um, you know, 93 yards a game, it's like, you just just do like even just a little bit of math on it. I mean, if you take Taylor at his best... All right, you're talking about an extra 15 yards a game? Maybe? A couple more receptions? And that's worth an extra $13 million, $12 million? No, I mean, that just, that that's where we get into these issues. And th this goes everywhere. Um, in the league, like, I understand that when we grade, um, players in terms of contracts, like if I were to, if I were to plot contracts and this is when we did, uh, when I went back and did the valuations, uh, the original formulas that we used on that, when you, when you plot salaries of players, it, it's essentially, um, you know, almost like an exponential function is, you know, it's like you got a lot of guys, even even if you pull out the rookies, you got a lot of guys low, a lot of guys low, a lot of guys low. And then it's like we give a lot of um, a lot of benefit for really what's just incremental gains, like very minor incremental gains. And you start saying, oh, well, you know, that's worth a lot. You know, that that that's worth five million a year. And it's like, what? You know, you, you look at some of those things and some of it you understand, um, you know, how some, some of that works out. But it's just so glaring at the running back position because the running back position has a peak and the peak is very early, typically in the player's career. Um, and 
when you get into that second contract production, uh, and I know I have that article from a couple of years ago where we looked into that, you know, it's really bad. Um, you know, like really, really bad. Because guys are always hurt. Now, I know McCaffrey's having a wonderful year. If you were a Panthers fan, McCaffrey's a disaster for you. It was just millions and millions and millions of dollars spent on a player who was always hurt. Um, you know, McCaffrey is maybe follows a career arc, kind of like an Arian Foster. It's the same thing. He's awesome when he was healthy. Wasn't always healthy. Um, but when you get into running back production, it's very easy to find guys where you're just like, okay, well, we just have a guy here, and he's 90-something yards a game. Like, how much more are you going to get from one of these players that's a quote-unquote superstar? And the answer is not much. And it's not like it's not like you're really bringing these these um, skills that are that are harder to measure, or the the effectiveness that's harder to measure. Like, well, you know, they're a hell of a blocker, and you know, they they Jonathan Taylor out there, he really sets up he really sets up that play action. Like he he really does. You know, no, that that's not going to be the case at all. Um, you know, with that, it, it's like that. That's that's not what it is. You know, you can say that with receivers, like receivers are dictating coverages, and maybe you, you will see some sometimes where you, you'll get a couple of these A receivers, and teams will kind of slide a safety a little bit over that way, um, where you you might open up some things elsewhere on the field because. You're, you're getting a little bit more to, to slide his way. Like, I, I've always said that receivers nowadays, if you have a great game one week, a lot of times it's hard to have a great game the second week. They, they really focus on you. So a lot of times that's why somebody else has the better game, you know, the, the following week rather than you. But, you know, th- there's at least arguments that you can make that there are some things that we probably can't measure that well on the impact of a player like that or... You know, the, the impact of a pass rusher who's generating pressures but not getting sacks, or the impact of a pass rusher who is constantly getting double teamed, and, you know, that's opening up the ability to gain pressures from somewhere else. Uh, you know, the ability of a cornerback, even though he's not getting targeted, to completely, you know, blanket a receiver and take that part of the field away. Like, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things like that which are probably kind of hard to measure. Running back production is not. And if I have a guy in this offense averaging 90 yards a game at a million bucks a year, why am I paying $14 million? Like, why? And, you know, they, again, this is just a, uh, I think, a problem with, um, you know, just general thoughts around the NFL. General, general ways that, uh, you know, teams do stuff. So... You know, I, I was I was shocked. I, I was at the I didn't realize this happened. I was at my uh, son's game and I got a text from a friend of mine. Um, yeah, just made a comment about that. I'm like, they did what? <laughs> it's like, huh? So, yeah, that was a uh, that was an interesting one. Um, all right, let's take a look at um, Twitter here. We'll do questions in a minute, but first, I'm just going to go over a couple things from this week. Um, you know, oh, and one of the things and I want to give a plug on this one. So. If you didn't check this out, I did repost it. Uh, let me see. So if you if you uh, if you're on YouTube, you can see it here. It's the October fourth 
uh, Sumer Sports. So if you're not, if you're listening on the podcast, um, you can go to my profile page, Jason underscore OTC. I'm sure there's going to be a load of Jet stuff that's on there, but if you scroll down to October 4th, um, you know, on my feed there, I did repost it. They have a great show this week. It's really one of the um, one of the ones that I, I I would say that this is one of my favorite topics, one of my favorite podcasts that I had heard um, recently, uh, maybe ever. I don't know. I, I thought it was just a really good one. So they go over coaching and general manager hires there and. You know, Dimitrov can obviously give you a really interesting perspective on that because of all the time that he spent in the NFL. Um, I thought it was a really good discussion. And, you know, I, I get involved very limited ways with uh, this this side of it. It's not anything we do on the website or anything else. But, you know, knowing the preparation that goes into the interview process and how some of these things go, the networking that's involved. It was just a really cool discussion, um, just to add to the little bit of knowledge that I had on it, um, you know, as to, to how it works. So if you're kind of into that stuff and how some of these hirings go and why they go and everything else, um, I would definitely check that that podcast out. Um, you know, it's about an hour long. You can watch it. Um, check it out. It's just, a, that one was a really good topic. It's a... Uh, it's a real interesting one, um, you know, to go over. Uh, let's see, what were some of the things that I posted this week? So take a look at this one. Um, so this here was really just looking at teams that spent a lot this year um, and how they had done so far. And obviously, we're very early into the season. But you, know, you can see, if you look, if you're in the uh, YouTube here, you can look in this lower right quadrant. Um, the teams that really spent a lot of money that have not had good results right now are the Giants, uh, the Jets, the Bengals, and then you have the Vikings and Raiders are closer to the NFL average. They're a little above average, but, you know, Giants, Jets, Bengals, and the Giants really have no excuse. Um, you know, it's just a, you know, uh, it was just a, it was a bad decision to extend Daniel Jones. It just was, uh, you know, that... Daniel Jones is the player the franchise tag is made for. Um, I'm not saying you need to commit to Saquon Barkley. Uh, you might have just said, you know, thank you, and you let him walk. Um, but, you know, this is one of those cases where if you're faced with two decisions, your better decision is to find a reasonable agreement with the running back, even though, you know, people like me are going to criticize it, but when you're comparing the numbers, it's much better to make a mistake signing the running back than it is making a mistake signing the quarterback. Because when you make a mistake signing the quarterback, you're talking about huge, huge, huge cap implica implications. Um, you know, if you look at Daniel Jones, you know, let, let's look up Daniel Jones's dead money in any given year. Um you know, $69 million next year. I mean, there's no way you can get out of that. So you're looking at spending on him 47-1 on the cap next year. You spent 15-4 this year now. You're going to get a credit. He's not going to hit any of these incentives that are counting on the cap. Um, so, you know, you, you can, you'll get $3 million off 
um, you know, the net value. But, you know, you're basically looking at um, about $60 million in cap room you're going to spend over these two years. And then you're still going to have another $22 million when you cut him. Um, you know, so you're looking at, you know, fully guaranteed $81 million. And, you know, that that's a killer. Um, that's an absolute killer for you, um, you know, if you're not a team. And somehow I got logged out. How did I get logged out of my own site? Um, anyway, I'm not going to bother with that. That's not a, not that big of a deal to, to look up the other running back contracts. There's not enough of them, but you know, if, if you make the mistake on Barkley, you're probably looking at screwing up $30 million in cap space, not $80 million. So while both screw ups would be bad, uh, what the giants did was really just a, a epic, epic, epic failure. Um, and there is something definitely going on wrong with my thing here. I can't even... There we go. All right. I, it's like I couldn't bring back up my uh, t Twitter feed here. Um, you know, other teams that have spent a lot of money, you have know, the Texans, uh, who spent the most money on off-season contracts. It's because they had so much roster turnover. They also had a lot of high draft picks. So, you know, that's pretty good on them uh, to, you know, at least be 500 and you know be kind of exciting um pull that chart up again the saints have spent a lot they're teetering falcons spent a lot they're probably teetering a bit too um titans surprisingly did eagles have spent a lot they're doing great ravens seahawks cowboys added a lot this year and they're doing fine now by adding it doesn't mean we're adding new players right we're just talking about contracts so the giants were you know adding nobody you know they, their additions were guys like just bigger contracts for Daniel Jones and Barkley and whomever. Um, so it's a little bit different. You know, we're not talking about um, bringing in new players. It's just about how much more money you're committing to the roster. Now, the Jets and the Bengals have a little bit of an injury excuse. Um, Jets have a pretty big injury excuse. The Bengals, so-so. It's hard to tell where Burrow's at right now. Um, teams that didn't spend a lot this year, you know, Kansas City, uh, Tampa Bay, Miami, they're, they're spending, you know, Miami spending was last year. Uh, Tampa Bay's spending was obviously in the past. Um, and then the least was the Rams who are just trying to develop younger players. Um, you know, and they're 500. So, you know, that's not too bad. Um, but I thought that was just kind of an interesting chart if you wanted to look at that. Uh, salary cap utilization. That's just a measurement. I'm not including dead money. It's just Okay, this is your active roster this week. This is your 53-man roster. How much of the salary cap is being used? You know, if a guy gets 100% of the snaps, we'll count 100% of his cap hit. Um, you know, and so on and so forth. So the Seahawks, you know, because Jamal Adams was only in for a little bit of amount of time, only 56% of their cap is being utilized on their active roster. The Packers are at 56, Texans at 57, and then you have the Rams, who are the highest in the league, at 77. So it's really just to look at seeing... Are the most expensive players also getting the most playing time or not? Um, but we're not doing it on an injury-adjusted basis. We can do that, too, and we can include dead money in there. Um, you know, that, that might let you see how much is really being utilized on players who are playing. Um, but I, I think that would probably be something we would do a little bit later in the season, more on a um, half-a-season, full-season basis, rather than looking at it on a uh, you know weekly basis. 
Um, we do have it on the site. You can look at the the annual values on there. Um, you know, that's one of the charts that you can look at. Uh, and the trends, I believe. Um, contract utilization. Yeah, that's right in there. So you, you can always check that part out too. That's in not using cap hits. That's looking at the actual annual, val annual values on the contracts. Um, let's see. We've got scoring efficiencies here. So scoring efficiencies are things that I post pretty often. And, you know, it's no different really than uh, some of the other metrics. It's just we're just looking purely at scoring. And some of the scores are going to be luck, right? You're going to get uh, special teams points. You're going to get defensive points in there. And, you know, I'm just including that all in the offense or whatever. So um, if you're not familiar with these, basically all this is doing is it's looking at your points scored per game and your points allowed per game. Uh, it's adjusting it for your schedule. So we're going to look at the schedule that you've played. What is the points allowed and the points scored uh, for those teams? If we take your games against that opponent out of it, and just from there you kind of calculate a percentage above or below um, kind of expectations. And this is actually, I, I found this to be a, a pretty accurate judge for determining um, end of year records. Now at this point, it's just it's too early because the numbers get skewed a lot by a game. You know, because you're only four games into a season. Um, you know, it, it's going to be a lot better when you're halfway through the year. Uh, but it typically it's a it does a pretty good job, I think, at projecting your final records. Um, as to how the teams will end up. And you can see that the, the Bills right now are your most complete team in the NFL. And that includes a dud game against the Jets. Uh, you got the Dolphins, who's... Uh, Dolphins. Dolphins. The Dolphins, whose um, offense is amazing. Uh, they're scoring almost 80% more points per game than their opponents typically would allow. Um, defensively, they're not very good. Uh, they give up about 20, 22, 23% more from the looks of it. Um you know, to teams. Now, obviously that's because it's a, it's an environment that is calling for a lot of high scoring, but you know, they got throttled by the bills last week. The bills were just dialed in. And I think they were, they were a little bit upset that, uh, you know, that people were proclaiming the dolphins were the unstoppable offense. And it's like, you know, what? go, go back and play more, go, go play more against Denver and then see how this works out. Um, you know, they, they gave them a beat down. So, you know, they, they, these basically are quadrants on the teams. And, you know, you kind of come up with, you know, which teams are um, kind of falling in that category that look like teams that have good offenses, good defenses, teams that have, you know, bad offenses, bad defenses, and then, you you know, then anything in between. Uh, you know, the Broncos, basically teams are doubling up what they typically would do in a game against that defense because it's awful. Um, Chicago's defense has been terrible. Now their numbers are going to change a lot this week because um, they beat up on Washington. And Washington scored 20 points, which actually maybe, maybe uh, well, that's better than Chicago's been doing. That's probably about average for Washington. Um, you know, Carolina's been bad uh, with some of that stuff. You know, one of the teams that actually surprised me uh, with this, and it's it's not the Rams or the Texans. Um, the team that actually surprised me a bit on this was the Jets. Uh, the Jets track almost average on offense, and um, 
well above average on defense. And I don't think the Jets' defense has looked very good this year. Um, I think they've looked okay. I wouldn't say they've looked great. Uh, their offense, I think, has looked terrible. Now, obviously, they do have some special teams points and stuff there, but they have played a very hard schedule. Um, now, I don't, we're going to get an idea this week if that changes, but I was pretty surprised by their placement here. Um, you know, that that the numbers that you have there for the Jets would... I don't have it in front of me, but I, my assumption would be that that's probably like a 9-10 to 10 win team. Uh, which would probably get you into the playoffs or possibly into the playoffs. So we'll see if that can uh, keep up when the schedule gets a little bit easier. Um, you know, teams like the Giants are in trouble, Raiders, you know, in trouble. Um, but I just find these interesting to, to kind of chart each week. And I just I just throw them up on Twitter just to say, hey, you know, this is, this is how we do these. I mean, if you want them in a chart form, I can put them in that if you just want to see how the numbers vary. Um, you know, but I usually like just to post these just to, uh, you know, give a feel for how the teams are, you know, and you get, you know, the, the Vikings, like the Vikings are having a really bad start to the season and you see the Vikings as being completely average last year. The Vikings were also pretty completely average, but they were like a 13 win team. Like they, they were a team that broke the model. (laughs) Like it basically would have said that they won like six games more or something than they were supposed to, um, you know, last year. So anyway, uh, that's one. Let's see if there's anything else that I had, and then we'll do questions here. Uh, these are my comments on the Jets game. Just seeing if there's anything from early on. Um, oh, this is before that. Oh, <laughs> Khalil Max game. He, he did. He had a ridiculous amount of sacks, and you know he's had nothing on the year. So my take was he's going to have not sacks in the game and finish with ten and a half. Um, these charts that I post before the games, uh, you can see it if you're on YouTube. Um, overthecap.com backslash positional dash spending, I believe, is the address for him. Uh, you can look them up on there. You can make any matchups you want. Um, you know, this is the Jets and the Chiefs one on the screen that I have here. And it compares the annual value that's being spent on each position. It gives you an idea as to how the teams have allocated their money to building a roster. Like, how different are the Chiefs and the Jets at building a football team? And you can see the Jets believe, well, if you can see this, the Jets believe much, much more in spending on defense. Um, really just spending in general in the Chiefs, but specifically on defense, um, you know, than the Chiefs do. And you'll see Nick, Nick built these to have these little candy cane stripes. That indicates how much of that value is sitting on like IR right now. So for the Jets, they actually spend more on quarterbacks than the Chiefs do. Uh, the Chiefs spending is almost all on Patrick Mahomes at 45. And, you know, they probably have another guy at a pretty low cost. Uh, whereas the Jets have Aaron Rodgers at 35-ish or so. Um, 37 maybe. Then you've got Zach Wilson at probably like seven or eight, and you know you, your couple of other guys you have as um, you know practice squads or backups. Like uh, I think Boyle's probably at a million, and Simeon's at like three hundred thousand or something. So they actually spend more overall. But you you can see all the little stripes here. Um, that's all Aaron Rodgers, and just based on that, it probably looks like he's at thirty-seven a year. Um, You know, just to give you an idea as to how much of that money is actually sitting on the sidelines in a game 
because the player's on IR. You know, you can't control it if the player's, um, you know, just inactive for whatever reason. Um, you know, so I'll usually try to post these during the games and then see. Uh, most expected cap space. Man, I don't need to go over that stuff this, this week here. So I don't think I got too much on email, but I did get a long one. So uh, let me just see here. Let me see. Um, Jacob, I got to look at this. He had um, he had sent me an article that he wrote to look at, or a paper I think he wrote. I'll have to look. Um, let me just see here. I had something, and I have a feeling I deleted it by mistake. Oh, here we go. Um, sorry about the Rodgers injury. Yeah, me too. Uh, what does the release of Chandler Jones do to the Raiders cap? Do you think the Colts extend Michael Pittman? Um, so the Jones one I went over before. Uh, you know, we're going to have to wait and see how that all plays out. But, you know, we're talking about that $12 million range uh, of charges. Um, I don't know what the Colts do with Pittman. Um, my assumption, especially after this Jonathan Taylor thing went down, is you should just say, I don't, you know, hold, I'm going to hold out and, you know, pay me whatever. Um, let me just, let me pull up his stuff here. Uh, you know, he's a good player. Um, you know, he, he probably falls in that range of, you know, the, these guys that, it probably fall into the category of being a a number one, but it's more like a default number one. And I, I know he's a I know he's a good player. Um, I don't look at him, and I, I know it's you're compromised at the quarterback position there for years. I don't look at him as like a um, like a top line um, receiver. I kind of look at him as a um, whoops, I did not mean to do that one there. Um, let me see. I just clicked the wrong thing. Um, I don't want quarterbacks. Let me just pull up receivers here. You know, if I look at receiver contracts, like I don't put him in with the, the AJ Brown, uh, group. Um, you know, I, I, I probably say you, you I'm sure he's going to look for similar money to Terry McLaurin. Um, you know, I, I think it's more DJ Moore, you know, that $20 million range. Um, you know, Deontay Johnson was at 18.5. I, I could see using that. Um, but I, I could see where McLaurin comes up too. But I, I kind of think he should be in that 20 range or a little below. Um, he may get more, but... I don't know. I, I don't. I don't really know what the the Colts will do. I. I, I don't know. It, it's like after you just if you're Pittman, I'd be pissed right now after seeing what happened. Um, but I, I don't think the the Colts are going to extend him right now. I would think again this will be one where they wait and they see um, how things go. Um, you know before they they actually um, you know go and do that. Uh, all right, let's see. So this was from Mike. Now, let's see. So he wrote an article. Um, 
Let's see. I'm just reading this here. Ba -ba -ba. I should have read through this before. <laughs> okay, so the gist of this is that um, yeah, let me go grab another drink, and then we'll we'll get into this topic. So let me pause this one more time. I'll grab another two, bring them down, and uh, I think that'll get us to the ends. So just hold on one second. Okay, so I probably should have asked permission to put this up. I'm not going to put it up just because usually if people email me something, I don't put it. Twitter, it's already out in the public sphere anyway, so emails I don't put on the uh, the video feed here, but... Uh, he has a lot of work um, that he did here uh, looking at stuff. And so the gist of it is, um, you know, just parsing through it real quick here. First of all, it's that the salary cap doesn't really give you a competitive advantage anymore. Um, you know, I'm sorry, or um, not give you a competitive advantage. Bring the teams down to kind of a, a level playing field. And, you know, the points that he brings up here, which are uh, really good ones, um, you know, if you look at the effect, effective values on contracts for just as an example, the Bills have uh, $289 million to this year. The Rams only 182. Um, you know, like how how in the world is that even remotely um, remotely fair, uh, you know, as to doing that? And there's definitely some accuracy in that uh, over the long term. If you've looked at it. You know, I went back and I did a study on the salary cap versus the non-salary cap era. And while the salary cap was considered to be the quote-unquote great equalizer for sports and forcing teams to pay, and I'm sure I'm going to go down a, a path here that's going to go too long. Um, basically, if you go back and you look at the 1970s dynasties, and you look through that and people look at that. Oh, there's only a couple of teams that, you know, qualified for the playoffs and all that. You go forward in the salary cap era and you had eras that are very similar to that, right? In the early part of the salary cap stuff, you had the Cowboys and 49ers. Um, then you had the Patriots and the Colts. And, you know, you've had a couple of teams, you know, the, the Bills and the Chiefs. The Chiefs have been good for a very long time. The Bills for a pretty good amount of time now, too. And that really compares with the, the teams of um, the past. And when you go and you, you look at the amount of teams that make the playoffs, now they've expanded the playoffs, which makes it easier to get in. But if you get rid of that expansion, um, you know, the number of teams that kind of win division titles, um, the number of teams that um qualify at least for a wild card berth 
it's no different than it was in the past. Um, in many cases, it's probably, sorry, uh, it, it's probably um, actually a little bit worse in this era, even though you do have some teams that come out of nowhere, um, you know, to, to do well. Um, I think the salary cap gives some false hope because of free agency. Now, there was a time when it did impact stuff. I'm not going to say it didn't, all right? The, the, the early days of the salary cap, once you got out of the Dallas 49ers dynasty rivalry, uh, which really ran from, you know, 1992 to 1995, 96, I would say, and then you saw the um, unraveling, I, I guess is how you would put it, of the Cowboys and the 49ers, in which case was mainly just being destroyed by the salary cap, um, Denver to an extent as well, you did get into a period where I think there was more parity in the league because of the cap, and then teams just started to get smart with managing it. And not only did teams get smart, but the Players Association gave the owners a giant win by dismantling the rookie contract system. And the rookie contract system um, at the top of the draft, which obviously is going to impact a lot of teams, uh, because it's not just it's not just the Lions, for example. You know, the Lions did get a, a lot of top picks, um, you know, in that era. But you did have a lot of teams that would float in and out from getting a top ten pick. So ev almost everybody was impacted equally by it. You know, you'd get hit by these big salary cap charges for players who weren't any good. Um, they were pretty much paperweights on your roster, and a lot of teams had to deal with that. Teams also had to have a salary cap minimum spending, so you weren't allowed to do like these crazy carryovers. You weren't allowed to just say, I don't really need to compete this year, so I'm going to try to compete with a bunch of young players. Um, it's not like we're giving up. But I'm going to take all these older guys and I'm just going to say the hell with it this year. I don't care about the salary cap. I'm just going to run a bunch of cheap players out there, try to develop them. If we're bad, we're bad. We'll come back next year. We'll have a lot of money to spend because otherwise we're going to be in a situation like the Saints or the Falcons or the Panthers were for many years where um, decisions from the past impact you for too many seasons. And they compromise what you can do. So teams have gotten smarter and the rules have changed mainly because the player side gave up the protections that they had for veterans, um, you know, to kind of keep them around for salary cap considerations that, you know, that that's all been demolished. So I, I think you could certainly um, give a benefit for, you know, coming up with a different way, um, you know, to, to do the system. Um, I think the suggestion here is that the annual cap charge should have a relationship to the contract's yearly cost, um, you know, which kind of makes sense. You're, you're saying, well, you know, how do, how do these things go on an annual basis? And, you know, it's a great example is the, the Joe Burrow and the Jalen Hurts deal where you've got these cap hits where essentially th this is like this era's version of a Deion Sanders um, deal where you've got 98 million dollars deferred to 2029 
if the contract was to void out for Jalen Hurts. Whereas, you know, Burrow's numbers are very different. You know, his his deferral on these is just much, much, much smaller. Um, you know, now the Eagles have benefited by the fact that the, the Eagles have been incredibly aggressive, but they've been creative in the sense that they've um, basically been able to get agents to agree to deals that help them with their cap when they release players or trade them. And... They've been, some of it's probably luck, but they've done a good job of identifying the players. One of the ones mentioned here is Lane Johnson. Um, You know, they've done a good job of identifying the players that they want to restructure and push, push, push the money on, rather than just saying, we're going to do it with every single player on the team. Um you know, they've, they've done a very good job with that. Now, I guess the question that I would ask back on that is, shouldn't you be rewarded for being able to manage your salary cap better or more creatively than other teams? You know, I, I think there is, you know, some value to that as well. You know, the, the Eagles are pretty creative. Um, you know, and then you, you look at some of these other teams, it's like the Saints you know, would have a higher spend, I would imagine. Um, you know, he has them here. Do, 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 do. I believe this is for this year. Um, let me see. The Saints. Yeah, 263. Adjusted APY. Um, you know, so they're, they're at a, they're at a, you know, a pretty good number there for them as well. But, I mean, the Saints, in a sense, are being punished um, these last couple of years for, you know, their, their salary cap issues, their, their handling of the salary cap really is kind of been a punishment for them. Um, it might be for the bills at some point too, but you know, I, I do think that the, I think the NFL is happy with the system because basically it's kept the wages down with the exception of the tippy top players. Um, and I think they're more interested in the salary cap for that reason than uh, competitive balance in the NFL. They have enough competitive balance. Um, you know, they. I think it's very clear that they don't want a system that sees quarterbacks switching teams. Um, you know, they, they just want a system that gets those best players in the playoffs every year. And I think that's kind of what you have now. Um, now... While it is true, uh, one of the points that he brings up here, um, the total league dead cap charge would go down significantly. Basically, if you started to devalue contracts on a straight line basis or um, something something similar to that, uh, the players would be against that too because your cash payouts would probably have to adjust, I, I think, if you were doing them that way. Um I'm not 100% sure on that. I, I guess it would depend on how you did it. Um, you know, the the dead cap would probably go down. Again, it depends on those payouts and how many players are getting cut. Um, the only thing that I would say, and the dead money is way up. So um, the numbers he pulled up here are starting in 2012, 11% of active contracts per dead cap. 
Uh, by 2018, that rose to 16, then 18%, 17% in 2020, 22% in 2021, and we're up to 26% in 2022. As teams are, um, uh, you know, much more willing to, to put money, you know, dead money that's there. And again, part of that reason is you do have teams now that are willing to just completely purge a roster. Uh, my guess is these numbers are a little bit higher in 2012. So the data he pulled on this one comes from Spotrack. And the the reason that I would say that is because we don't have contracts for 2012 on our site, not in a full manner. Um, their data that they're going to have pre-2013, which is when we launched OTC, is going to be... Um, Incomplete at best. Uh, let, let's just put it that way. Um, the majority of stuff they're going to have is going to be contracts that we've uploaded during that time that fix the numbers that he would have had for 2012. Um, would have been stuff that he kind of grabbed from my buddy Ian, um, who you know keeps these great records of all that stuff that's there. But it also requires an understanding to turn those from words into salary cap charts. Um, that, you know, wasn't going to be there in 2012 for what they were doing. So those numbers that were there, it, it would, it's, it's kind of like going from a, uh, a questionable source to a good source of data. So I, I just probably say the 2012 number, I, I would just, I would take that a little bit with a grain of salt. Um, you know, I'd probably look more at like where things were 2014, 2015, and I'm sure they were lower. I just don't know if it would be all the way down at like 11%, um, you know, as for where that would be. But the, the money has, you know, the dead money has exploded as teams have gotten more willing to do that. And, um, you know, you, you see the, the quarterback dead money has really gone up a lot in recent years because teams have made early and bad decisions on quarterbacks and then the quarterbacks falling out of favor and um you know those numbers have spiked a lot too um but yeah i i do think it's always very interesting um you know to to look at different ways the salary cap impacts the league and you know i i think i my own opinion of it is that the players association gave up too much and they kind of allowed the NFL to limit the worst of their franchises. Um, you know, it was like there were teams that did damage to themselves, right? The the Raiders, like the Raiders were a terrible run organization. Um, yeah, there, there's just no sugarcoating it. Even when the, the couple of teams they had that were good in the, the you know, that Rich Gannon era... Um, Awful, awful management. Uh, Al Davis, whomever was doing anything, just awful management. And they would blow up the salary scales. They would blow up. They, there was no logic behind how they were doing a roster. Um, you know, Washington fell into that trap at times. Dallas fell into that trap at times. Um, so, you know, the rules came in to say, okay, we can't police, and this is one of the reasons why when people bring up these collusion claims, um, you know, I, I think a lot of times they're very difficult to, not just to prove, but they probably don't really happen. Um, 
And we say, hey, you know, the owners are all getting in a room and they're they're sending emails out like, ha ha ha, let's let's do this at the position and let's do that at the position. Um, you know, cat people talk to each other. It's not like they don't, you know, and they, they'll ask about certain deals and you might get some stuff that comes in similar. Uh, but, you know, where, where you talk about things like you've, you've got the, you know, they, they make it sound like it's, you know, the sinister group of guys have walked into this room, the billionaires, and they're, they're doing this, that, and the other thing. All you have to do is go back 15, 20 years. The NFL couldn't police themselves. They couldn't police Jerry Jones. They couldn't police Al Davis. They couldn't, um, you know, they, they couldn't, they couldn't put a system in place that kept bad owners, bad general managers, bad cap guys, just bad organizations from screwing things up for the rest of the league. There's a reason why coaches like a Bill Parcells would not want the number one pick in the draft. They didn't want to deal with the contract headache that was involved with it. And sometimes that contract headache existed because you had a team like the Raiders that picked number one the prior year. You know, you had one of these really bad football teams that picked number one and just blew up a salary scale. And you said, we don't want to do that. There, there's too much of a risk, um, you know, in those kind of players. You know, you, you would have these, these guys that would come in and... They would do these outlandish contracts for free agents, and it would just blow up the free agent scale. And you know, you couldn't rein those owners in. You couldn't take Dan Snyder and rein him in, and say, "What? What? And you, you know, what the hell are you doing? Like, why are you screwing this up for the rest of us by doing this? That didn't exist. And so that that's why it's hard to believe that somehow now magically it does. So. Basically, what happens is when you get into the CBA level stuff, the the guys who are mainly negotiating those deals are negotiating with the main point in mind being like, okay, we've got X amount of insane owners. We've got X amount of really bad organizations. How do we create a system to where they don't screw things up for everybody else? You know, the Browns probably fall into that category a little bit now, right? They've spent so much on coaches, so much on certain trades. Um, you know, you, you get into the those kind of things. And, you know, I, I think that plays a role as well. So I think, you know, from the NFL standpoint, they're probably happy with it. And I think from the standpoint of the union, um, you know, they, they've just screwed up. Um you know, I, I think that they've just missed at every turn. And I think this is one of the reasons why having a football guy in there, um, you know, to, to at least push in a certain direction or maybe have a little bit more understanding of that aspect of it, I think they would have pushed for some other things rather than focusing just on the cash aspect. Because, you know, again, why you, you focus on these cash minimums, you say, well, you know, they're they're meeting these cash minimums. Yes, that did keep the the teams like the Bills and the Bengals, um, the Colts, you know, having to be somewhat honest with their spending. Now, the Bills have new owners now, so that's not really a concern. Um, you know, when you, you see a lot of these other groups, you get new ownership that comes in. Uh, you know, spending doesn't be, spending isn't a concern anymore when you get the 
older owners out. Um, you know, but yeah, it brought those guys up, but it didn't help the players keep and stay in the league. It didn't help salaries continue to grow. It's like that. It really, a, a lot of it just worked against the players, which is why the NFL is more than happy to keep extending these deals at 10 year lengths. You know, it, it's very hard for, for anyone to say with a straight face, what happened in 2011 was a major step forward or a major victory for the players when the NFL owners wanted out of a CBA that was signed in 2006 in about two years. I think their opt-out on that was 2008. Yeah, no, it was. I think it was 2008. 2009 was your last capped year. 2010 was the uncapped year. So I think it was 2008. So they, they were either willing to go two or maybe three years on that deal before they said, whoa, we're opting out of this, opening up negotiations. 2010 is the uncapped year. It could be, you know, all hell breaks loose. Who knows? Um, you know, let things go. Um, based on that, to doing a deal in 2011 that ran for 10 years. Doing another CBA that's 10 years. You know, the, the owners don't care about having more competitive balance. That That's that's one of the things. They are they are locked in on what their league is right now. And their, their league is not about competitive balance. The, the NFL is better... If they have Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen in the Super Bowl taking on, it's not as many good quarterbacks in the NFC, but a bigger market taking on, you know, San Francisco, taking on Philadelphia, taking on the well, Giants aren't going to get there, um, taking on the Cowboys. You know, it, it's it's about that. It's about finding a way to get the best quarterbacks that are in there. And if you don't have a quarterback in the other side of the equation, um, you know, just making sure that it, it's a team that has some type of value to it. Um, but you can just expand the playoffs as they've done to just try to get the, the teams in there for the playoffs. And, you know, the, the way this, the regular season works, it's only 17 games. Um, teams don't fall out of it until a certain point, And, you know, the, the teams just aren't, there's not that much that separates a lot of those teams. So, you know, you can get a lot of teams, six, seven, eight wins. That's more than enough to carry you through the middle portion of the season where you can make arguments that these teams that really aren't in the hunt are and uh, that they're, they're playing competitive football games. And that's all you need uh, to keep making money on your television contracts. And on top of that, you know, you, you've got TV that it's just, completely sped up the the whole cutting of the cord and um you know moving off of your traditional cable and you know just moving into streaming and just all the varied content that people watch sports the nfl in particular is one of the few things that draws people to the television screen nowadays and you know the nfl is the king with that and that's not going to change. You don't need to have more teams that can compete. You'd rather, again, you'd probably rather have the Chiefs and Bills with that type of quarterback there as dominant teams. You don't want to see them lose their players to other teams around the league to where, you know, you, you don't want to have 
that's Tennessee Titans finding a way to make the Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill as your quarterback. You don't want to make it easier for them to get to the Super Bowl than it is now. It's like if they make it, they make it. But you don't want that. You know, you, you don't want Desmond Ritter and the Falcons in the Super Bowl. You know, you're not trying to make it easier for them. So, you know, I, I don't think that the NFL has any real reason to change it. But it is absolutely true that the salary cap is not a, um, not really a deterrent anymore. All right, let's see if we've got any questions here on Twitter. Just a couple. All right, let's get through these and call it a night. All right, Yuma, what are the cap ramifications for Randy Gregory? Uh, if you've already dropped that breakdown, please point me to it. So if you go to his salary cap page, I mean, you can see it there. Um, but I did go over that before. So, I mean, you you can look at on his cap page. I did go over it early in the podcast, but let's see what those numbers are. So if you go to his history tab, you'll be able to see his dead money on the Broncos. So he's going to cost the Broncos $7.7 million on the cap this year, $13.8 million next year. Uh, they paid $13.16 million of his salary this year. So that's the um, official breakdown cap and cash-wise. Bland tweets, what set of circumstances would need for that uh, to happen for the Jets to pick up Wilson's 50-year option? Um... Wilson would probably have to finish the year as a, I'm thinking like a top 12 quarterback statistically. Um, Jets would probably have to make the playoffs or fall like one game short um, for them to pick it up. And, you know, the, the other thing that, that's there that makes it a little difficult, I think, maybe to decide is, you know, you, you also have to have, and maybe, maybe they'll have some clarity on this, you know, where, where is Roger's head at um, right now as well? Because you, you're not going to be in a situation where, you know, you probably are, are looking at um, $20 million on Wilson uh, two years from now while Rodgers is also at like $30 million or $35 million if he really intends to play. Um, so I think Wilson would have to be pretty good. Jake Smith, at what point do teams start selling players, especially quarterbacks? How bad would it be to force a team's hand? So uh, you, you saw this sort of the selling of players. Um, they don't sell quarterbacks. Teams just don't do it. You know, uh, teams, you know, we you get into that salary cap discussion – not enough teams really fall out of it. It's not like baseball, you know. May, maybe if the um, maybe if the the NFL um, changed the, their trade deadline right now, I think it's Halloween. You know, if they had it later, um, you know, maybe you would be able to, uh, you know, to to push more. But I mean, like right now, you look at it. You know, you, you've the trade deadlines like three weeks away basically so you've got buffalo miami at three and one you've got new england and the jets at one and three the jets and new england don't think they're out of it you know the Bengals certainly don't think they're out of it afc south everybody's even 
You know, the, the Broncos, Peyton doesn't think he's out of it. Raiders don't think they're out of it. I, they're out of it, but they're not going to think it. You know, the Giants, Giants might be thinking it right now. Um, Chicago, Minnesota, you know, even though you're sitting there one and three, one and four, you know, you, you think you've still got an opportunity to, to do something. You know, you start saying, well, you know, if we win three in a row, we win four in a row, we're 500, we're right back in this thing. And, you know, in the NFL, like, look at, look at Wilson, you know, you question before on Zach Wilson, you know, Zach Wilson was awful. Um, he really wasn't any good in that first quarter, I guess, against Chiefs. The next thing you know, he starts just throwing darts around, and people are like, oh, yeah, Zach Wilson's got it now. And then, you know, you've got the head coach. Oh, this is what we've seen from him all offseason. Come on. You know, did Trevor Simeon signing lit a fire under him? No, he played good. And you, you hope that maybe that light has gone off. But, um, you know, it, it's like that. that's the way we, we approach these things as fans. That's the way teams approach these things. It's such a short season you know, you just look at it and you're just like, man, we could have won this game. We could have won that game. If the ball bounces our way these next two weeks, we're right back in it. And, you know, you you have that positive thinking and it really doesn't turn negative until mid to late November, probably Thanksgiving time. And the trade deadline has long passed since then. So I don't think you really see teams ever really just become sellers and other teams become buyers. Um you know, knowing that they're they're making a push for the Super Bowl, you know, you just don't see it, especially with quarterbacks. Um, you know, the the best example you could probably get of it was the Von Miller trade to the Rams. That was a very clear, like, okay, we think we have a shot at the Super Bowl. Denver doesn't. Let's see. And you came to an agreement on that, but you know, I I think the league would actually benefit from moving that trade deadline, I, I think that would be beneficial. I think that's something that they would sign off on because it might make good teams better um, in a given year. And, you know, it, it gives teams more flexibility that way. And it would also be exciting. You know, the trade deadline, the trades have gotten more exciting in the NFL than they had been in the past. But it's still not like a like a big thing. You know, it's not... It's still not a day like baseball's trade deadline stuff. And, yeah, you get some rumors and a lot of talk, and a lot of times it leads to nothing. If you pushed it a couple of weeks later, you know, you, you'd get a lot more activity. Mark, for the podcast, when Mahomes first signed his 10-year deal, his annual salary was way above the top. Was it Watson's deal that drove other quarterbacks' salaries higher? Um, It was going to go higher anyway, um, but yeah, Wat Watson's is the contract that really pushed it. So Mahomes' deal, really, even though Mahomes' contract was um, 45, the front end of his deal was 39 a year, I think is what it was. And then the back end was, um, you know, round 50. Um, so... You know, it's it, it it was a weird contract. If you looked at it um, because of the length of it, it was very different than the other contracts in the NFL. So, I, I think really it was 
it's probably the Pres uh, Prescott contract that really pushed it because that's where you had a legitimate free agent get to 40. And that really surpassed where Mahomes was at his uh, five-year value of that 38-39. I think Watson was at 38 on his original one. Um, let me see if that's where he was at. Let me see here. Let me see if I just have the numbers right. So Watson was at with the Texans. He was at 39. So he might have, maybe Mahomes was at 38. I actually can't remember uh, the way that it worked out. But in any event, um, that 45 was not really going to be a block on the market. Uh, but it is the, the Watson deal with Cleveland that made it very easy for the teams to jump it. But I think once Prescott hit 40, um, I, I think the Mahomes deal was pretty much shot uh, at that point. Like, he, he wasn't going to act as a block that much longer. It wasn't going to be Aaron Rodgers in, like, 2013. It was, uh, was going to be a very different scenario. Momo the Burger Flipper. Uh, do you think the Giants regret the Jones contract four games in? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, Jones is right back to where he was before, and, you know, that's why they didn't pick up the option on him. And you know, just a terrible decision by the Giants. Uh, Brian, how much does your car weigh? Unrelated question. If I, as a Jets fan, wanted to lay down in front of your car, how fast would you have to be driving to end my suffering? Um... There's a good little uh, little picture here if you want to see it. Uh, I, I don't think you have to drive too fast if you're laying down in the road and you want me to run you over to end the suffering. Look, it's uh, the the Jets are at least com very competitive this week, um, this past week. You know, it was a shame the Jets didn't have an opportunity to um, you know tie or win. It, you know, the officials said I won't get into it, so I'm not going to get into it. Um, you know, it, it was just disappointing that they did not get that opportunity this week. But, you know, I, I think the way they played after the, the awful start to that game reminded me a bit of the way their playoff game went against the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers years ago when the, the Jets came in and were just flat right at the beginning of the game. And then if that game had five more minutes, Jets would have won. I'm not sure if the Jets would have won this game, uh, but it would have been nice to have an opportunity to, uh, you know, go in there and possibly do that. All right, let's take a look. Last set of questions. Oh, whoops, that's the wrong one. This is the one here. It looks like another five, and then we'll call it a night. All right, Todd. What could the Jets do if they wanted to move on from Rodgers? Uh, not much. You know, his salary next year is guaranteed. Um, I believe he has a no trade. So... Basically, they, they would have to get Rodgers to say, I don't want to be back. Um, otherwise, you know, you're looking at $66 million dead because they, they would owe him <clears throat> uh, this prorated bonus that's in here and everything else. And I mean, there, there's some maneuvers they could do to lower that and split it across two years, but they owe him a lot of money. Um, you know, they, they would have to say, they, they'd really just have to convince him like, hey, you know, 
we wanted this to work. It didn't. Uh, we're happy with Zach Wilson now. Um, you know, we, we want to give you your best opportunity to go somewhere else. Um, you know, if you waive your guarantee, we'll give you a release and you can choose where you go play. I mean, that that's probably what would have to happen. Um, if they did that, um, let's see, they would owe $28 million on the cap if they were able to um, convince him of that move. So that that's the way that would have to work for the Jets. KC Sports, who are the biggest cuts next year for teams over the cap? So many teams way over next year. Um, again, I, I haven't looked that forward to it. But, you know, it, it's going to be your player. And, I, you know, say, well, some of them maybe should have been cut this past year. But, you know, it, it's going to be, you know, the Chargers might be a bloodletting. You know, it depends on how the season goes, but, you know, you've got probably Keenan Allen, Khalil Mack, uh, Mike Williams. Um, you know, let me look up the 2024. You know, Mack saves you 23-2-5. Mike Williams saves you 20. Uh, Keenan Allen saves you 23-1. Um, Joey Bosa, I, I'm going to say that that's going to be an interesting name, too, because you're looking at Bosa now, and... You know, he, he's starting to get up there in age a little bit. Um, you know, he's not old by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, you, you're starting to see some things that are concerning, right? You know, he doesn't play a lot last year. Um, we're seeing some injuries creep up this year again. I, I think you, you're going to get to a point where you're going to have to actually start to question, um, you know, is Joey Bosa going down what's now that end of career J.J. Watt route. Um, let me see if we have his numbers up here. Um, you know, when you just got to that point where, you know, again, effective player, but is he playing? You know, three games, five games, full season, eight games, full season, seven games, full season, then he retires. Um, you know, I, my own opinion is I would look at Joey Bosa right now, unless this season takes a different turn. But right now, I, I feel like this is this in a week, out a week, in a week, out a week, um, you know, where you could probably get a big return on him in a trade still. Um, and it might, I, I don't know if it'll really come back to bite you because, you know, you, you're, your team is going to come and go with Herbert here. Um, you know, that that's that's the real leader of your team. That That's the... That's the real thing that moves the needle, um, not any of these other players. You know, this is one where if you can get something big for Bosa, um, I, if I were the Chargers, I'd start to consider it because you don't want to have, you know, it's a $36 million cap hit in 2024, $33 million cap hit in 2025. You don't want to start going down this this route where, you know, you're you're getting eight games out of a player that's thirty plus million on the cap. Um, you know, you, you don't want to have that. So, at some point, you you have to go in there, I think, and you know, just start to have a a reasonable discussion about it. Um, you know what you're going to do. Um, Corey Lindsley saves eight, nine, you know, it, it's, that's a team that is probably going to have to rip itself apart. Um, you know, the bills, uh, they're way over as well next year. 
but I don't think the Bills will rip it apart. Um, you know, obviously, Tredavious White, another terrible injury. He's probably going to be in danger of being released. Um, but he'll have some injury protection in his contract. That'll at least save him a little bit. Um, you know, Deion Dawkins has been playing pretty well. I don't think they'll get rid of Morse. You know, it, it's hard to look at them as a team that's really going to be negative on what they do. It looks like they're a team that's probably more just going to go start going down that restructure path. Um, you know, Dolphins may have to cut some guys, the Broncos, um, you know, they're probably going to have to be sellers. You know, the Denver's got, uh, Let's see who they got in 2024. You know, Wilson will be the interesting one. Um, you know, the wide receivers could all be up there. You know, Justin Simmons saves 14-5. Garrett Bowles saves 16. You know, they, at some point, they have to start turning the page on their veteran players. And, you know, if things don't turn around, um, you, know, you start looking for other guys that you're going to bring in. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting next year. Paul, will the Raiders see some cap relief, uh, some relief on the cap due to the Chandler Jones situation this year and next? Uh, so n not this year. It shouldn't happen at all this year. Um, you know, next year, it's what I talked about before. You have to wait and see if the Raiders um, get any money back. If they do, then, you know, they'll, they'll get credits on the cap. Matt, given Fields' contract status and likely draft position, uh, they almost have to take quarterback irrespective of Fields' performance going forward. Um, no. I, I, I can't say that. The, the only reason I'm saying that at all, um, if they, if Chicago did go on a run and finish with 10 wins this year, just to throw that number out there, I think they'd be okay with Justin Fields. I'm not saying it's the right move. I'm just saying I think they would be okay with that. Um, from a, a more logical standpoint, yeah, if you look at it that you've got one cheap year of Fields and then, you know, your fingers crossed as to the way things will go after that, makes much more sense to just draft a quarterback with at least one of your two picks. Uh, you know, Carolina's certainly would be high. Um you know, they, that you would take a QB then. But I do think there's a scenario where they could hold the top pick with Carolina's pick and they may end up going with the receiver. I think that's Harrison's kid. Um, you know, that they could end up, well, they, they would probably trade out, um, you know, at least a spot or two, um, you know, and end up with the, you know, a receiver and, uh, you know, bypass the quarterback. Um, I think if Chicago finishes anywhere under nine wins, um, yeah, then, then I think it's a, a lock that you get a quarterback. And certainly if they wind up picking number one, number two, number two, number three, number two, number five, yeah, obviously that that means that uh, Justin Fields did not have the kind of year um, that you need to justify doing anything. All right, last question: Can you explain the Chargers just in general? Uh, I don't think there's any explanation for the Chargers. You know, it's a they've made some moves that make sense. Um, they just seem snake bit. 
Yeah, that's coming from a Jets fan. Um, you know, it, it's like everything works against them. You know, when the Chargers decide to be aggressive, it works against them. Um, you know, they, they decide to do something. Next thing you know, the quarterback's got his finger busted. Uh, you know, you, you make a late decision, um, you know, in a game, and it's the wrong decision every time. It's like you would imagine that these things would balance out. It seemingly never does with the Chargers. Um, now, I think they've made mistakes in the way that they built a roster for this year. But, uh, you know, I, I think they, they just, there's something missing. And I know some people will say it's the coach. Some people say it's the general manager. Um, there's just something that's missing there. I, I don't know what it is. I don't think anyone can put their finger on it. Maybe it's the fact that they do play 17 road games a year. I mean, there's, there's no home field for them at all. Um, it's just hard to really figure out, you know, anything with them. And this this goes back a long time. This is not just a, a recent, you know, thing where we talk about charging and everything else. The Chargers had great teams with Phillip Rivers. They had really good teams when Drew Brees was there. Um, they never got over the hump. They they just could never figure out how to get, you know, to that next level. And they should have. I mean, they're probably... I can't say that, you know, oh, it was the greatest team to not win a championship, but... You know, when you look at a team and you look at a roster over a period of time, you know, 2004 to 2011 or however many years you want to do that, that, you know, look at some of these teams, it is hard to believe that the Chargers did not have more success, um, you know, than they wound up having. You know, it, it's like they would make it every year and then find a way to lose. You know, they it was like... And, you know, you hate to bring this one up, but I mean, it's the, it's the Marty Schottenheimer thing. Um, you know, it's just like you, something just falls short. You know, Bill Cower was like that with Pittsburgh. Now he finally did win one, but it was like something would fall short. You know, you'd have these rosters that were really good. Um, now the, the Chargers didn't even have as much regular season success a lot of times as you expected, but, um, Something just always goes wrong with them, whether it was in the playoffs, um, you know, or whether it's uh, regular season, you know, something just goes wrong. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what they could ever do to fix that, change it or whatever. But uh, something just goes wrong for them. And I don't know. They, they just never can never can get out of their own way. And uh find a way to get to that next level and you kind of feel like for the chargers that it's been this way since 2004 you know I, I think that's when breeze started to to kind of develop um you know and then you you turned it over to rivers and it's like it had to be disappointing i mean rivers was every bit as good as roethlisberger he's better than eli manning both of those guys had much, much, much more success than Rivers' teams did. I know the Giants were up and down with Eli. 
they had two very memorable historic Super Bowl wins. Pittsburgh was relevant every year with multiple Super Bowls in there. And it's like Rivers could never get there. And, you know, it, it's just, it's kind of weird. You know, Roethlisberger's a lock for the Hall of Fame. Eli Manning is probably going to go in. You know, you've got the two Super Bowls. It's just weird to me that you can look at Rivers and you can look at Eli and say Eli's a Hall of Famer and Philip Rivers is not. But, you know, I, I think that's probably how it's going to go down. Um, Atlanta probably fell in that same category. You know, and I mentioned uh, Thomas Dimitrov before. You know, his run that was there, it, it probably goes down in that same thing. Um, you know, and that's probably going to keep Matt Ryan out of the Hall of Fame. Now, I know Matt Ryan is, um, you know, and Rivers and Manning and those guys, they played in that era as well, but they kind of predated it a little bit. Um, you know, Matt Ryan came in and, you know, it is only a couple of years after, but a lot of what they did um was a little bit more, I think, in the a little bit more wide open era with uh, throwing the football and everything else. But you know, Matt Ryan is just again every bit as good as some of those other guys, and I don't believe he'll get in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, either, and it it all really stems from that lack of uh, postseason success. Um, you know, and. You know, this group of Chargers barely makes the postseason. They snuck in last year, but, uh, <laughs> you know, find a way to blow it any way you can. And that's the Chargers for you in a nutshell. So, anyway, that'll do it for me. Um, so, hopefully, I, I should be back next week. Uh, we do have another Saturday football game, but I think we're pretty early in the day. Um, so, as long as I don't have too much other stuff going on, we'll be able to do another podcast. I'll try to come up with... Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll start doing some topics looking ahead to 2024 for a couple of the teams. I don't know. I still think it's a little early for that, but uh, we'll see how those things go. If you have any ideas, you guys can send them over. Uh, let me know, and we'll see what we can uh, discuss next week. So everybody have a great week, and I will talk to you all again soon.